Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Sex, Psychics and Psychedelics, Discovering Inner Liberation. My name is Banana Jane Garnett. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, a lover of freedom and a relentless explorer of the mind. Please come join me on my journey in hot pursuit of inner illumination and liberation. For more about me, you can find me at the Banana Jane on Instagram. Now let's dive in. My next guest is cannabis entrepreneur Jasmine Hupp. She's a founder of Women Grow, and she's here to talk with us about intersectionality in the business of cannabis. We start out with me trying to figure out how we met and uh, how embarrassing it was that I put all my cards on the table when I first met Jasmine. I remember saying to you, because you seem very familiar to me, and I remember saying to you, I just started to rattle and I think I said, oh, hey, you know, I really, you seem so familiar. Was it at the orgasmic meditation training or was it maybe at that mushroom ceremony we went to last night? And I was like... We're oh, I'm really showing my cards. Yeah, it was seven minutes C, I think we, we, we landed on that we'd both been at seven minutes C at the same time. Oh <laughs> my God, was it was so funny. Of where we could have intersected. <laughs> and also you could have judged me on so many of my items and I guess I was talking to the right person, you know? So it was good. So from the beginning, I yeah. think that women are an amazing force to create healing in this world. And it was very clear to me that we needed more healing in this world. And, and so I was looking for like, where are all the levers I can pull to help women have more influence and more impact and be able to stand for the values that they want in their community, whether that's family or, or whatnot. And so in 2008, I joined an organization called Women 2.0. And the mission of Women 2.0 was to help more women become venture-backed uh, founders in high tech and clean energy, all those, those types of fields. And when we started the organization, I believe the statistic was like, you know, women were getting like four or 5% of funding for tech companies. And I think, I was with Women 2.0 for almost a decade. The organization still runs today. And the stat right now is like women are getting like eight or 9% of tech funding. 
Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's progress. progress. Yeah. I wasn't super happy with that progress, as you can imagine. Yes. I Being know. a high impact individual. <laughs> yes. I thought she was really good at like creating a movement and changing market forces. And like, I was just going to go in there. We were going to throw some events and, and change the ratio. Right. And so when cannabis was legalized for adults in 2014 in Colorado and in Washington, I was awakened to this opportunity of like, oh, well, here, here's an industry that's not as entrenched as technology was at the time that I entered it. Is it possible that if we make some early bets, if we, if, if we throw some events, if we, if we do some education now, could we get the first industry that has, you know, that's led by women or an equal amount of women? Like, what would that look like? And is that possible? And so I co-founded an organization called women grow in 2014 we went on this crusade of inviting 75,000 women to come to events in 75 different cities and learn what is the cannabis industry where could my place be in it do i want to run a company do i want to be a part of leading this and that organization still runs today i was the ceo for the first two and a half years and then honestly i burned out i topped out i learned a lot about community management and the expectations of a really large community and so the community grew hugely. Um, and I'll, mm. I'll admit, just personally, I was not able to flow that amount of energy and that amount of expectation. Uh, and mm. so I stepped off and turned Women Grow over to a more diverse leadership team. Because another thing that I had missed in my rush to help and my rush to organize um, was that we had a really white team. And yeah. this was a process that, you know, marijuana laws were rooted deeply in racism, were deeply related to punishing black and brown people. And so to come into marijuana and to not really viscerally understand that I had not done the anti-racism work that I needed to do. Can you tell um, me a bit more about that, about the, the rooting and punishment? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, in, in case you don't know, if you, in case you're, you're newer to drug policy or new, newer to drug laws, the root of why we try and control substances such as marijuana, the root of that is we wanted to control black and brown people. And they were known for using marijuana. For example, the very first drug-related laws that come onto the books in North America come out of Vancouver, and they outlaw Asian people from being able to be pharmacists because at the turn of the last last century, uh, you had a large number of Chinese in Vancouver who were building the railroads, and they were using opium at night to heal from that literally back-breaking work. Yeah. And so yeah. the first racist drug laws in the United States are, are against the Chinese, or sorry, not in the United States, in North America. I'm Canadian. And so those laws go on the book saying that if you are Asian, you cannot be a pharmacist. And those stay on the book in Canada until the 70s oh, with just amazing. that root of, oh, we want to make sure that these Chinese people who are using this substance are controlled and are, are, are um, mm, you know, are, aren't too aggressively or don't threaten the existing white people in the space. Mm. And so that's where our marijuana laws come from. And that's where the majority of our marijuana arrests and, you know, marijuana related the folks who are in jail right now are by and large black. Well, it sounds like it was a huge 
learning curve and a learning curve that involved a lot of different sort of intersections. So yeah, I mean, there are so many different parts of it we could talk about. I mean, one part I want to just make sure that we address is this kind of intersectionality of the plant cannabis and uh, women or the, the spirit of the feminine and what your thoughts are about that. Is this a natural intersection or is this a sort of imposed intersection? Well, as, as folks who are cannabis fans may know, the, the part of the, the flower that we smoke is from the female plant. Cannabis is, uh, in its essence, is a female product. Those of us who are lucky enough to have female uh, marijuana growers and farmers in our life um, have experienced sometimes there's even a a special magic to when the the feminine, the the abundant magic uh, raises marijuana, we found Mm -hmm. Um, there's an energetic to it. And, and of course I felt that on the positive side as, as, as a marijuana consumer. And then we also saw it on the reverse side and the negative side where you just heard so many stories of uh, a group of guys getting together. Oh, we're just going to, we're going to put together $150,000, $250,000. We're put together. Oh, we're going to be millionaires next year. This is going to be great. And a lot of those, especially those indoor grows, you, the plant will misbehave or something will go wrong. And, and we heard a lot of stories of people losing their entire operation over just not being able to cultivate this plant that, that should, mm. that grows pretty easily. <laughs> I guess, uh, yeah, let's, let's hope that the plants will, will have their way. They seem to carry uh, an intelligence that, that is surpassing ours right now anyway. But what you're saying really smacks of this moment in the psychedelics revolution beyond cannabis feels like you know there's this rush to codify to make money to to grow more you know more 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 wider 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 there are so many different parts of this but I'm just you know just addressing that sort of the young I'm going to sound a little sort of prejudiced and judgmental but fuck it you know the sort of the young bulls mentality like just like just you know the young young tech guys just rushing towards the big money maker and yeah. God, I mean, my perspective is just so different. You know, I actually have almost an aversion to making money out of these medicines that have been so sacred and game changing to me. And that's what I want other people to share. And I guess, you know, that from one angle, I think, great, you know, just whoever's doing it, put LSD in the water. Let's let this whole (laughs) shift take place. Humanity's going to have to melt down before it rebuilds. Like you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs. Just let it happen. And then there's another part of me that's like, you know, the the mother, the clinician, the, you know, the the caretaker, Mm -hmm. the woman who feels spiritually connected and in a different way. And, and, I want people to take care and I want people to honor this very powerful stuff that we're able to get our fortunate enough to get our hands on. I mean, we're talking about massive amount of privilege there. I don't know. that That's kind of where I'm at. You tell me what your thoughts are. So as might be obvious in my background, from 2014 to 2017, I was literally on the road for marijuana legalization. I was visiting every state in which they had legalized marijuana, as well as we had women meeting through Women Grow in every state and in most towns that had legalized marijuana. So it was this incredible 
incredible uh, experience, visual experience of actually going into these communities, meeting the business owners, meeting patients, meeting community members, and getting to experience what legalization was like, what changed in those communities. And I honestly thought when I burned out in 2017, that the marijuana legalization was going to get better and better and better and that I could step off the gas. Um, You know, we didn't need to be organizing women on a national level. For example, in 2015, we brought about 100 women to Washington, D.C., and we had them lobby about 100 different Congress people for fair treatment of their businesses. I thought that all that work would just continue and that legalization would get better and better. It would get fairer and fairer. We would have more BIPOC people participating as business owners. When you say legalization, excuse me, when you say uh, legalization would get better and better, what does that mean? So as you may remember, when the legalization of marijuana just started, we had some pretty awful ideas about how to legalize it. The, the worst example is in Ohio. And I have to say that I supported this legalization in my naivete because I thought that the worst harm of the war on drugs was the enforcement of the war on drugs. So in 2014, 2015, I was in support of any type of legalization, no matter how convoluted, because I thought it would get us arresting less black and brown people. Mm. And that, that was the, the, the my, my, my top concern was I, I wanted, I wanted law enforcement to stop enforcing marijuana unfairly. And I wanted as many people as possible to have access and to be able to choose marijuana. if That's what they wanted to choose. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so I went as far as as supporting the the Ohio's first attempt at legalization, which what happened there is a group of 10 people got together and said, hey, we're going to pull together the money to run this legalization campaign. And then once Ohio legalizes, only the 10 people who supported this bill are going to be able to be in cannabis. We're going to make this a legal business industry in the smallest way possible just for ourselves. Gotcha. <laughs> and not surprisingly, they were all white people and nine out of the 10 were men. Wow. Uh, yeah. and, and, and even so, I thought, you know what? Well, at least if less people are being arrested in Ohio, let's do it anyway. And Ohioans were smarter than I were, was and they rejected it. They, 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 they turned that down. And so that was my first experience where I was like, wow, we, we, we actually can do this the wrong way. Like there, it's not just, let's just go, let's just legalize everything. Let's just do it. We've got some data through marijuana on, hmm, these were some better ways to do this. And these were some less good ways to do this. And, and that's what actually I wanted to get in with you is I'm, I'm going to, I'm start, starting to study like, you know, what are the factors? Uh, what are the success factors? What are, what are, what are the data points that we want to track for marijuana legalization and which of those are going to be important to think about and to track for psychedelic legalization. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, good on you for for rolling up your sleeves. I mean, I think for for me, I just look at this and I'm like, not only can we go wrong, but we will go wrong. Right. <laughs> like, you know, then I was like, well, what's the net result? Will it be good? I don't know. So, so yeah, let's, uh, let's hear a little bit more about that. I'd love you to break it down. And that was what was so fascinating was being in all these communities and doing all this lobbying for marijuana. I learned that everyone's definition of success for marijuana was completely different. 
Mm. Wildly different. You know, here we have marijuana legalization was sparked by these marijuana moms, these mothers who had terminally ill children who were using marijuana to, to help those, those children with cancer and, and, and very difficult conditions. And most of the legalization you know, didn't deal with child patients in any way that just got ignored. So here are these women, these warrior mm. women, you know, taking their personal time, money, funds to lobby for medical marijuana for their children. In a lot of states, children are, are, are not considered uh, in the marijuana mm. laws. Right. Yeah. So that, so that was weird. <laughs> and then again, we have this history of using marijuana to punish uh, specifically African-American communities in the United States, but, but mm -hmm. larger community of colors as well. And so we went about legalization in a way where most early legalization said that if you had ever been caught for a marijuana related offense, you could not work in marijuana. Which basically translate like into if you are a black person who was ever caught selling marijuana, you are not allowed to continue selling marijuana. We're going to like double arrest you in the future. Right. If you have a relationship with this, you're not allowed to play. You're not allowed to play. Only the guys who can raise a lot of money and do and yeah. sell marijuana in a very strict, overly regulated system, overly taxed system and not to mention, we've got to pay the state government and the local taxes probably 30, 40 percent of every purchase. So the state's getting a lot of money. The locality's possibly getting money. The, the white business owner is getting a lot of money. But if you were a black person who was caught dealing marijuana in the past, well, you're done. And, and, and so we're going to face very similar um, may lose or, or archetypes with psychedelics where, okay, so let's say we legalize LSD, for example, if you have an LSD related criminal charge on your background, are you going to be able to be a part of that? Luckily, there's not many people out there who have LSD related charges on their, their, their back. I was just wondering, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, how many people do that? <laughs> but, but, We've know. been watching you and you have been having too much fun for too long. Get out. So we'll, we'll, we'll find what that number is. But yeah. okay, so let's say after we legalize LSD, what are we going to do with however many people are in jail right now for LSD? Do those people stay there? Do they have a path out? Do they have a, you know, do we have a way to apologize to people that we put in jail for something that we're now is going to say is okay and we would like 40% tax revenue on? I mean, I think that the money making perspective is really complicates everything, doesn't it? I mean, going into the weed store, my local weed store, this place called Urba. It's been amazing as a consumer to yeah. see the changes. I mean, the prices have gone up exponentially and the design is extraordinary. All of the different brands. I mean, it's such a sort of feels like such a kind of gold rush for me, you know, from, from mm. the sidelines. And I'm kind of, you know, the 14 year old in me is giddy. The 14 year old who just like, you know, lived in London and, and got sold boot polish as hash, you know, and, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, wow, <laughs> you know, here's all this amazing stuff and you can yeah. buy it and, and nobody's going to put you in jail or anything like that. I mean, not me. And also it's there's something about it I find quite scary as well, because I can see how commercial it's getting and then also see how damn easy it is to eat 
potent medicine that is wrapped in sugar and basically <laughs> it's like gummy bears, you know, and it's sort of infantilizing of, of culture. And, and then of course, like, why would that not appeal to a teenager? I have two young daughters. They're growing up in this world. My, my littlest has already asked me when I, when we're going to take ayahuasca together. So they're a little bit, you know, she's 10. <laughs> like, they're a little bit, uh, they're a little bit oversophisticated in some ways, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that, that concerns me. I feel like I've only just like touched the surface of understanding this plant. Okay. Just going back to cannabis. It has so, it seems like such a sophisticated plant. It has mm. so many different applications. As you say, it has so much history. There are people out there who understand it in a way, and I hope I can find them. Maybe you can help me as well, you know, through this podcast. I want to talk about people who really know about this plant and the history of this plant and, and using it in a, you know, a, a medicinal way, because I think it, you know, um, it has so many potential beneficial applications and like so many other things, there is real potential for abuse. And I think it's, it's, um, I think that that's coming on strong too, with this amazing sort of availability. So it's a complicated setup and I understand, you know, your perspective is very political. I think for me, I'm, you know, I would love more education around it. I would love to, there to be some sort of education system in place about the plant, all, all of the plants, all of the things that, you know, are getting closer and closer to home. Yeah. And I think, yeah, just more awareness and more community and communication over what do we value? what's important to us in these outcomes. And, uh, and like you said, I've got, you know, some of these, these aspects are super political. You as a mom are going to have different aspects mm -hmm. that are, that are most important to you. And I think what I saw with marijuana legalization is that we just had no agreement and no alignment over what was really important. And everybody was in mm. it for their own reason. And it's not until, you know, we get to the after part where we go, oh, well, how is that going to work? Or how is that going to work? Or how's that going to work? You know, it, it, it's, let's say, for example, we legalize psilocybin tomorrow in mm -hmm. California. Okay, great. We've legalized psilocybin. Well, where is it going to be legal for people to consume that psilocybin? If they mm -hmm. live in public housing, will they be allowed to consume psilocybin? Mm -hmm. If they have a job working for the federal government, will they be allowed to consume psilocybin? You know, are, are, is your health insurance going to be able to discriminate against you because you use psilocybin? Can an employer discriminate against you for using psilocybin? And, and I bring up all these points because these are currently all areas that you can be discriminated against because you use marijuana. Yeah. What's the solution to this? Do you have a, do you have a plan? <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> do I have a plan? <laughs> What's the plan, Jasmine? Come on now. Uh, well, well I'll, I'll tell you what I'm trying. Uh, yes. And, and so I, in my experience. By the way, I just want to say one second. I just want to say I'm so, so grateful that I can say things like this to you because you're somebody who can actually handle questions like that. And I know... <laughs> 
I know that you take it on, you know, and I love that. I know that you're always, you're always taking the bull by the horns. And I really appreciate that about you. I honestly, I thought that the marijuana legalization was going to work itself out while I was in meditation for the last two or three years. And, um, and so this is kind of wild to me to wake back up and come back into the political lobbying world and realize like, Oh, well, we fixed some things, Mm. but, but we Mm -hmm. didn't, there's still so much work to be done. Obviously here's my plan. (laughs) Okay. yay! (laughs) So I uh, learned through marijuana legalization that personal experience with uh, whatever or plant or molecule that, that you want to be in relationship with is, is really important and it's really where to start. And I learned in the marijuana quote unquote industry that the folks who had no relation, had no personal relationship with the plant were generally not good stewards of that plant. Mm. Uh, they generally had some misunderstandings or some judgment or some projection that would interfere uh, with their business, maybe not in the short term, but definitely in the long term. And so my first initiative is to advise people, if safe for you, to have personal experiences with with these plants and these molecules that you, uh, you know, want to bring into the world and that you want to make more accessible. Uh, And so I've written a book called The Inside Guide, which is my personal methodology to using marijuana, magic mushrooms, MDMA, movement and meditation Mm. to start that journey of going inside, of holding yourself responsible, of noticing how you show up in the world, of becoming more aware, becoming more conscious, let's say. And I started with a book because I wanted folks to create their own individual experience, relationship, and opinions. I come from, let's do things in in a mass network, mass education style. And what I learned with psychedelics is that instead of telling people what I wanted them to know about psychedelics, my best results came from setting people up to have their own experience with psychedelics and, and, and then being able to create and generate that wisdom instead of just trusting me, um, <laughs> that I had the knowledge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so my, my first initiative is, is for the folks who are able to, especially if you live in a decriminalized where a, a city where, where psychedelics are decriminalized, such as Oakland or see Ann Arbor, Michigan is a new one. Oregon just decriminalized across the whole state. Uh, psilocybin is decriminalized in New Mexico as well for example, if you are in a place and time and space where you can safely create a psychedelic experience for yourself, that's my step number one. Just try it. huh? Just try it. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think if you look at sort of go kind of Michael Pollan on it, that, that there's a story that's much bigger than us that is coming through. And you could say it's plant intelligence, or you could say it's, you know, consciousness itself that is kind of using these plants and these substances to, to help us wake up. And, and it should be ideally a sort of symbiotic relationship. They help us and we help them. And that's very different from exploiting and yes, and you can only really help someone if you know who they are and what they want. Otherwise, it's just you, some weird ego trip, right? For sure. 
and, and, and exploitative is a really great word for, for folks to remember. And, and it's, it's, I don't want to blame anyone. We just, we come from American business models are exploitative. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. we come from a conquer it and sell it off mentality. And, and the British do as well, as I'm sure you. Oh, we do not, Jasmine, for God's sake. Where did we learn we this? We just do the right thing. Yes, yes, colonization, absolutely. And it's no yeah. coincidence that as we're waking up to, oh, wow, we don't want to live in a colonized business model anymore. Oh, wow. We don't want to do exploitative business models anymore that these molecules are coming back up again and, and saying, Hey, yeah. and so if we create old bad business models using these, these molecules of higher consciousness, let's, let's say, mm. I don't think it's going to go very well. <laughs> it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. I mean, one way or another, they are going to change everything. And it's going to be a great unfolding one way or another. But yes, I, I hope that we can, each of us can empower ourselves to be a kind of a conscious player in this game. And that means having to question everything, I think, at this point, not accepting anybody else's story as your own. Mm, yeah, beautiful. You know, it's interesting. That was my first big psychedelic experience was ayahuasca. And the first thing that happened to me is I got turned into a homeless person. I had nothing. And when I say I got turned into, you know, that was, that was my experience when I, when I drank ayahuasca. Um, I, I kind of went into the most sort of desolate place inside myself. And then I saw this word trust and it was made out of shiny pennies. <laughs> and then the pennies dropped into my, my empty bucket. And it was a, was a picture of a part of me that was really, you know, I think it had been out of connection with with trust for a long time um, without even really even knowing it you know I was living life from a place of of distrust and I think that that's been I can't tell you that I'm in full trust I see it as a sort of lifelong learning process Mm, yeah absolutely Uh, my word or the work that I do is around judgment It's the same element, I think, not trusting, judging others. It's the same energy. Can you tell me a bit more about that story for you? Yeah, for me, it's the work for me is I come with a lot of self-confidence, which is very convenient when you're working in multiple taboo spaces at once. Very nice. Yes. (laughs) Very nice. But um, some of the way that I built that confidence was by trashing on others right? Elevating myself by, by making others lesser than me or judging others mm. for, for how they went about their goals or for their choices. And so that's a, a constant practice for me is that reframing of, you know, it's, it's not my job or, or my initiative to judge how other people are showing up in the world. If anything, it, it's my job to, to really try and understand where they come from and why they show up in the world that way, instead of judging the results. Right. So sort of opening your heart more to yeah, just the classic. Who you can't, yeah, can't close <laughs> yeah. your heart stuff. Which is, 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 it's so, it's so easy for me to go into judgment and to close my heart to, to folks. So that's that's a big, a big part of of my work with psychedelics is is staying open to all. 
is that what you feel like the overall message has been of your journey with psychedelics? Oh gosh, don't ask a question like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you just have to what five hours later. Life is, you know? oh, 42, oh, sorry, 42. I can't help myself. <laughs> <laughs> I remember a guy who used to lead Iboga ceremonies and he said, and Iboga is so life-changing and it's there's so much that happens when you take a boga or the can, you know, you can have a million wild dreams and experience all these things. And you can try and explain it to your friends afterwards who, you know, who haven't taken a boga and don't want to ever take it and don't want to hear your fucking stories. And <laughs> I remember him giving me this really good advice. In fact, he gave it to the group and I didn't pay any attention to it, but I always remembered the good advice. And the good advice was you don't bang on about the details of what happened during your trip just think about what the overview is and put it in very simple language for other people. So it might look like something like Iboga helped me be happier or it helped me feel more connected or I engaged with my art more afterwards or I stopped taking heroin. Um, you know, <laughs> something small like that. Um, <laughs> basically, yeah. So, so, you know, but something that someone who hasn't taken psychedelics could understand. And I guess, mm. okay, so if I challenge myself with the same question, what would I say? I would say overall, for me, it's helped me feel more connected to my life as an adventure. And it's helped me accept myself more. Ooh, beautiful. I would say that psychedelics were my gateway to deep meditation. Mm. And within meditation, I found the answers I was looking for. Nice. I like that, that they're a gateway to meditation. That's a good reframe and a good reminder that they're not the uh, destination, they're tools. Yeah. It, for me, it's really about, you know, what it's not just about doing the psychedelic, you know, just about what the molecule is in your body. It's, you know, what is the mental, emotional spiritual and body work that you're going to be doing that that molecule assists in. Right. Back to integration. You can find these places on the map through your deep dive with, with whatever molecule. And then how do you weave that back into the, the default setting of your life? How do you, how do you grow these, these beautiful kind of gains, these beautiful dreams or you know this this access that you found through the through the psychedelic experience how how can you find that without having to take it how can you grow that yeah um, bring it and bring it into your reality because you're going to get frustrated or at least I know I get frustrated if I have to take a drug to get to where I want to go every single time that's you know not the lifestyle that's too I many want. drugs yeah <laughs> that's too many drugs yeah yeah it is absolutely Absolutely. And also, I think it's important to be able to talk to people who don't want to take these things, don't ever want to take these things, might have judgments, you know, to be able to connect with all sorts of people who, back to judgment, but, you know, who have all sorts of ideas about this and not be one of the, you know, the converted, like this is, this is not the only way, you know, it just isn't the only way. It's, it's a way to grow your imaginative reach and your you know, the depth of your meditation. Obviously, there are many people reaching amazing altered states without without taking any any drugs or substances. So yeah, I'm respecting all the all the positions on the map on that one. Gosh, so this has been really great, Jasmine. I 
I always love talking to you. I always feel like there, there are so many conversational adventures that we could have. And what I'd like to do to sort of wrap up is go into your own personal goals, big dreams and dreams um, and visions for the, the best possible outcome for this psychedelic renaissance. Mm, what a beautiful way to wrap this up. Well, my hope is that as we all become more aware of our impact on each other, on people who don't look like us, on the ground that we're on, on the planet, on the air, on the water, on the minerals, (laughs) that we're going to get better and better at this, that we're going to get better and better at, at coexisting on this planet together. I always thought that the the folks who were in charge of the hippie movement who came up with the slogan, save the planet, were poor marketers because the planet is going to be here. <laughs> this this mm. piece of rock will survive mm. us. <laughs> the question is, or, or, or my plea is save humanity, save uh, how we exist together in balance and alignment on this earth. And so that's the big goal, you know, save humanity, save the world, save each other. And some of the things that I hope I can be a part of in that effort is creating structures and permission for small businesses to serve folks who want to do psychedelic exploration. I'm not a huge fan of our pharmaceutical, uh, the pharmaceutical methods of introducing these molecules to folks. And so I'm really interested in, in how we can support small, ethical, aligned, cooperative groups of people in, in serving each other. And will that business model serve as a business model uh, on a larger scale? Because at, at the end of the day, I'm, 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 my, my background is in business and technology. And so I'm really curious at the end of the day, how this all then relates back into this mechanism of business that I've started from. And I honestly, I honestly think that we are at a time where humanity demands something beyond capitalism. The, the businesses with pure capitalistic exploitative missions are not going to survive another hundred years. And so I think with the legalization of psychedelics, we have the ability to promote the new business models of whatever the next or the new economy is going to be and to practice those and, and hopefully turn people on to them and, and, and watch them grow, watch them change everything. And, and maybe make this this post-capitalism a little more comfortable for us. Yasmin, you're amazing. You're, you're thoughtful and you're radical and you're educated and you're fun. And um, I've really loved talking to you today. And I, I hope all your dreams and all of our dreams come true on this ride. Mm, thank you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Lots of love, darling. Thank you so much. Thank you. 